Welcome back to the JC Hoops Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Collier. It's March Madness. We made it all the way through the regular season and have all but one team in Indiana in a bubble ready to compete in the NCAA tournament. I'll be talking about the Hogs in March and fielding some viewer questions from Twitter. Plus, Eric Musselman joins me today to talk bubble life. Uh, all that and more next. First, the JC Hoops podcast is brought to you by CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. CJ's has locations in Fayetteville on Weddington and in Russellville on Arkansas Avenue. Online ordering is available at their Fayetteville location. CJ's has been voted best burger and fries in the state, fulfilling their motto, when all you do are burgers, they have to be the best. So on to March Madness. The Razorbacks are the three seed in the South Bracket and were actually the top three seed in the bracket overall. They'll take on a high-powered Colgate team in the first round. Before we dive into all of that, though, uh, a couple things to note. This is the Razorbacks' highest seed in the NCAA tournament since entering as a two-seed in 1995. The Hogs lost in the championship game that year um, to keep them from being back-to-back champions, uh, losing to UCLA, unfortunately. It's also the first time since that same season that the Hogs finished the regular season ranked in the AP Top 10. The Hogs finished number 6 back then and number 10 this year. It's really been a historic season for the Razorbacks, you know, looking to cap it off this year with some postseason success. Accolades have come in for individual awards. Moses Moody named the SEC Freshman of the Year. Um, just the third overall, the first since Patrick Beverly in 2007. Uh, Joe Johnson won the first one in 2000. Moody was also named an honorable mention All-American, joining just Ronnie Brewer to receive that honor this century. Bobby Portis was actually named an All-American, but those are the only three Razorbacks, uh, to my knowledge, that have at least been named honorable mention or won the award since the year 2000. Um, J.D. Note also earned some recognition, winning the SEC Sixth Man of the Year Award. Uh, That was the first time since Eric Ferguson won the award back in 2006. A pretty good amount of some hardware and some uh, individual uh, accolades won by the Razorbacks this year for their really impressive season. Um, many could argue some snubs, like Musselman not winning Coach of the Year, he, even though he is still in consideration for some National Coach of the Year uh, honors. Um, Devontae Davis was not a freshman of the year. A lot of people thought that was uh, a snub, especially the minutes and the impact that he was making uh, towards the end of the season and in conference play as a whole. Justin Smith did not make any first or second team SEC uh, honors, except for the USA Today second team. Um, Musselman uh, actually, Coach Muss actually kind of took a shot at some coaches uh, in one of his press conferences talking about uh, where are their votes, you know. Um, and to, to Muss's credit, you know, statistically and just listening to these these coaches and post-game press conferences, uh, Justin Smith is one of the better players in the SEC. Um, the stats that he put up speak for themselves, but also nearly every game, it seemed like, in conference, you had opposing coaches talking about Justin Smith being a difference maker, Justin Smith being a, a really good player, Justin Smith and Moses Moody, all, all this sort of stuff. And uh, he, he was left off of the first and second team SEC voted on by the coaches. So uh, Mus- Musselman did bring that up. And uh, got to say, is 
as someone who follows the program, you know, that's that's something that it's good to see a coach sticking up for his players like that, even though, you know, Coach Speak will be like, oh, well, we're, we're not focused on individual awards. We're, we're focused on team success. And Must does say that. He, he's definitely said that multiple times in the past, but he's also a coach who focuses on individual achievements as motivational tools. He said that uh, last year, and he said that when he was hired, you know, oh, hey, you know, you're pushing a career high tonight. Let's go get it. Or, oh, you know, you're about to break a record for made three-pointers. Let's, let's, let's get you that record. Um, and so although those, those sort of individual achievements don't necessarily, quote-unquote, matter in, in the grand scheme of things, they are great motivational tools, and, you know, they do matter. Um, Must went on to talk about how mature Justin was about the whole situation and how he's probably um, not affected by it at all. Or actually, Must, I think he said, uh, I know that Justin is not affected at all just because that's how mature he is and, and, and how much of a team leader he is. Um so it was really good to hear that from us, but also to know that Justin is mature enough to uh, not let it affect him too much. Uh, also, Jalen Tate did not make all defense, even though he guards the opposing team's best player every night. Um, that was just something I noticed too, but it is what it is. Um, but what's really important is team success. And with the draw that the Razorbacks received for the NCAA tournament, they could make a legitimate run. You look at their opening round matchup against Colgate. You know, you don't you don't ever want to overlook an opponent. But Colgate has only played five opponents this year. They've played 14 games. Maybe 15. They only have one loss. But they've only played five different opponents. Their opponents have a combined win-loss record below 500. They have an abysmal strength of schedule. They are not that athletic. They are not that fast. It would really take a really... I I, I don't even know the correct word. I, surreal shooting performance by Colgate and the Razorbacks to just play really bad for Arkansas to lose. I understand it's a trendy upset pick. You know, the 14-3 line, every year when I pick a bracket or when I do my own bracket, I always pick one of these games. You know, the 12-5 and the 6-11 are really popular for people to pick two and three because, you know, that's a pretty common upset line. But 13-4, there's typically one every year. But I'm not seeing it with Arkansas, and Jay, Jay Billis would agree with me there, too. Uh, people were on ESPN were talking about um, how, you know, oh, Colgate could make a run at Arkansas, and Jay Billis responded simp- simply with no. And then he added on to that with no, 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 no. So, and I've always liked Jay Billis. I, I, I like him a little bit more after that, too. Um, it's just one of those things, I, I'm, I'm really... I'm surprised that that this is the upset pick and not something else. Like why why isn't it the uh, Abilene versus Texas or the um, who is Ohio playing? I think I have a bracket pulled up here. Yeah. So I I wouldn't have Eastern Washington beating Kansas. I wouldn't have. Um, Colgate beating Arkansas. 
But you have Liberty and Oklahoma State. I don't see that one either, honestly, though. Where? Oh, I was looking at 4 and 13, not 3 and 14. Whoops. My bad. You have Texas Abilene Christian on the 314 line. Ohio, Virginia is another one. Yeah, so I could see an Ohio, Virginia. I could see an Abilene, Texas. I, I do not see an Arkansas Colgate, and I do not really see a West Virginia Moorhead State. So I, I really think when, when you look at the, the 314 matchups this year, the West Virginia and Arkansas ones are the least likely to come out with upsets. Muss has talked about letting his players be aware that teams will be upset in the tournament this year, uh, but that they just can't let that happen to them, and that is very true. You don't ever want to overlook an opponent, but, like I said, there's always a but. It's just, Arkansas is taller, longer, more athletic, and just overall better than anybody Colgate has played all year. A lot of pundits are talking about how many points they score, uh, per game and using it as as a way to be like, oh, well, Arkansas scores scores a lot of points and Colgate scores a lot of points. So, well, they're they're both going to score a lot of points. It's like they're they're not even paying attention to the fact that Arkansas is one of the best defensive teams in the country too. Arkansas is uh, number fourteen in, in in adjusted defensive efficiency. Um, so I think when you look at look at it from that kind of a lens, there's just not really much of a justification for saying, oh, you know, this is the upset pick. Not to say that you you wouldn't put this down in a bracket. I mean, some random person who doesn't follow either team could put this down in a bracket and, and hope to, to get a correct upset pick. I mean, that happens every year. But for ESPN pundits and analysts to sit up there and be like, no, this right here, this is the upset pick. I just, I don't get it. I just really don't, especially when you look at an Abilene Christian team who played Texas Tech to the wire at Texas Tech and has a 30th rated defensive, defensive efficiency in the country matching up with Texas. I just really, I really think that's a much more likely upset pick. But that's just me. Now, assuming Arkansas can get past Colgate, uh, the mighty... Gingivitis fighting toothpaste, or I'm, yeah, I don't even know what their mascot is, honestly. Um, but assuming Arkansas can get past them, they will either match up with Texas Tech or Utah State, and these two teams are pretty similar. If it does happen to be Texas Tech, they're a really slow kind of slow pace, don't score a lot, but really defend the ball type team. They don't have a single person in their main rotation over six foot seven. Not a great rebounding or shooting team, but they don't really make mistakes either. And that's where you can get into trouble with a lot of teams. Arkansas is one of the best teams in the country at forcing turnovers. Uh, they're one of the best defensive teams in the country. And when you go up against a team who slows down the pace of play, you go up against a team who doesn't make a lot of mistakes and who doesn't turn the ball over, that kind of messes up your game plan and your style of play. So it'll be a really interesting matchup. You know, Utah State's in a similar boat. They're not quite as slow, but they're also not quite as good at scoring, or at least not as efficient at scoring. Um, 
Again, they also don't have that much size, except they do have a seven-footer. They rebound really well, but is that because of competition or what? Um, one would think that in their conference, when you have a seven-footer who's averaging 10 rebounds a game, you would think that that would really kind of help boost your, your rebounding numbers on the season. Maybe that's just me thinking that, but I think it's a legitimate legitimate comp. Um, but they're really Utah State is really good at defending without fouling too. They only average 15 fouls a game. That's not getting in the double bonus in the first or the second half. That's barely getting a one and one in each half. And for a team like Arkansas who really enjoys scoring from the free throw line, especially having your star player score a lot from the free throw line in Moses Moody, that that could present present some issues. Um, for all intents and purposes. I, I really think it'll be Texas Tech versus Arkansas in the second round. And you can never look past a Texas Tech team under Chris Beard. He is one of the best coaches in college basketball for a reason. He's had amazing success at a program that has not had a lot of success in basketball. And he's just he's proven that he is a very good coach. You know, he... He was at UALR and took them to the second round after a, 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 a win over Purdue in the first round. I think that was also a 3-14 and 14 matchup. Um, with Josh Hagens hitting an insane buzzer beater and some really deep threes to, to really close that game out towards the end. But Chris Beard is a very good coach and, and is not one to take lightly, even on a down year like this year. You know, they played in the Big 12, similar to the Big 10, where you have a bunch of teams beating each other that are all ranked really high, and you don't really know who is good and who is not outside of the top couple of teams because everybody's ranked and everybody's beating everybody. There wasn't a whole lot of really good non-conference games. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, just really knowing who is good and who is not in that mid-tier of the Big Ten and of the Big 12 this year. just seemed like oh, well, these teams are ranked, or oh, they're right outside the top 25, and they're all beating each other, so they all have to be good. So they barely drop in the rankings at all. And because of that, you know, you kind of get a bunch of really good seeds out of these teams, or out of these conferences. Um, Texas Tech gets a sixth seed with, what was their record this year, 18 and 10? I think that's right, 18 and 10 or so. I can always look it up. 17 and 10. They went 17 and 10 and went 9 and 8 in the Big 12, and they are a 6 seed. It's just that kind of dynamic is is kind of weird to me. I don't know if that's just me or or what, but point being, even on a down year, Chris Beard is going to be tough to prep against, but Arkansas also has Eric Musselman. Eric Musselman has proven especially this year, he is one of the best game-planning coaches in the country. He's also one of the best at making halftime adjustments. He, he just knows his stuff. He is one of the smartest basketball coaches out there. We'll actually hear from Eric in a bit, uh, too. I had a really quick interview with him over the phone uh, right after practice today. I uh, really enjoyed talking to him a little bit. So we'll get to that a little bit later. Um but the way that, that Musselman can use his lineups, the way that he coaches his guys, the way that he 
it, it, a lot of it is the little things too. You'll see a little, um, little tweaks here and there in offenses and defenses from half to half, or even from timeout to timeout. Um, and they're just so minor too, but it makes a world of difference. Whether that's um, going a complete five out, or having somebody slip screens instead, or or uh, one of the one of the, the more recent games before Jalen Williams was out for a few games, you know. Uh, I think this was the Alabama. It might have been the Alabama game where we ran the offense through Jalen probably four or five times in a row down the court. Um, fed it to him in the post a couple times, um, and he scored a couple times. So then they had to play him more honest. Well, then Muscle's like, all right, we'll feed it to him up high. Well, that just opened up more lanes for everybody else. Um, and then they started uh, having Jalen screen at the top and roll. And then after after that worked and Alabama adjusted, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure this was Alabama, uh, Jalen set the screens and then faked the roll. Or he would just clear out. I mean, it's just those sort of little things, those, those little tweaks in the offense that he can make on the fly or or already be in the set offense. It's like, okay, we'll go here a couple times and then we'll run through the, the sets – a, B, C, D, uh, depending on how the defense plays it, that sort of stuff goes a long way, and that sort of stuff is is what's indicative of such a great basketball coach. Um, another thing, Arkansas is playing three freshmen heavily right now and really relying on them with Moses Moody, Devontae Davis, and Jalen Williams, really relying on them to uh, be major contributors this late in the year. That says a lot about... Uh, this staff and Musselman's development of young talent, but also their trust in young talent, too, to go out there and say, hey, we're going to go with three freshmen and two grad transfers, and that's our that's our starting five, essentially. Or, you know, Connor Vandover starting at the five. Um, Musselman hinted at possibly switching the, the rotation a little bit. Don't know exactly what that entails when Justin Smith comes back, but even if Vanover's still at the five spot in the starting lineup, that's Two grad transfers, two freshmen, and a sit-out transfer in your starting lineup with a freshman and another transfer right off the bench in your main rotation. That's just a lot of trust to have in your guys right there. So assuming Arkansas gets past Texas Tech, I think Arkansas has the better team. I think Arkansas has the better matchup. I think they have the better scheme. I think they have the better players. Um, I think... Arkansas gets past Texas Tech and goes to their first Sweet 16 since 1996. Would be a really, really huge uh, accomplishment for Coach Muss in just his second year on the job. Um, but then, you know, most likely, Arkansas will be matched up with Ohio State. And Ohio State's... A really good basketball team, you know. I was just talking about the um, the Big Ten and how, um, like the Big Twelve, you have a bunch of teams beating each other and not really proving who's the real deal and who's not outside of Illinois and Michigan and maybe Iowa. Ohio State lost five of their last seven games. Five of their last seven, and they dropped from a the fourth one seed to a two-seed, just to be replaced by Illinois as a one-seed. Now, Illinois deserves to be a one-seed, but I don't care who you play against. I just feel like if you lose five of seven games, you you should really drop more in, in, in bracketology-type stuff. But 
Maybe that's just me. Maybe I don't get it. Maybe the Big Ten is better than I think they are. Ohio State has a really efficient offense, pretty bad defense. They play at an average to slow pace. Uh, They don't turn the ball over at all, but they can still hit shots. They don't force turnovers. They foul a lot. It's going to be another interesting matchup in March. But, you know, being the two seed versus a three seed, being Big Ten versus SEC, being efficient offense with an average pace versus an efficient offense at a fast pace, I kind of think the matchup favors Arkansas again against Ohio State. Not saying that Arkansas necessarily wins this game, but I think there's a really realistic possibility that Arkansas could walk away with a win over Ohio State. And that's that's just assuming that Ohio State even makes it that far. In my own bracket, I have Virginia Tech beating Ohio State because I think Mike Young is one of the best game planners in college basketball too. And what he's done at Virginia Tech, I know they're only a 10 seed, but I have them going to the Sweet 16 against Arkansas. And then I have Arkansas beating Virginia Tech. But if it does come to Ohio State, if we're just playing the seed lines and it's a two versus three and it's Ohio State-Arkansas, I like the matchup favoring Arkansas. And so I'll go ahead and say Arkansas could legitimately beat Ohio State for all the reasons that I've already listed. And that's where I'm going to stop today as far as kind of predictive matchup bracketology because so many things happen and so many things change in March. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to go through the Sweet 16, Colgate, Texas Tech, Ohio State, and I like Arkansas's chances in all of them. So now I'm going to play the recording from the conversation that Eric Musselman and I had earlier, and then I'll come back with some questions from Twitter. What your experience so far has been in the bubble up in Indianapolis? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, the, you know, to be able to go to the Indianapolis 500 and experience that with the team and selection Sunday when the, you know, when the announcement happens is one of the great experiences for any student athlete. So that experience was awesome. And then once we got to our hotel, you know, things changed pretty quickly. We, you know, we had to go into isolation for about 30 hours. Um, couldn't see any of the other staff members. Um, you know, they brought food into us put it outside your door. Uh, but then once the, t- the two tests came back, um, you know, where nobody had COVID, uh, we were able to start meeting as a team. Uh, and, and it's been a good experience. It is, it is a, a lot different than, than, than the last three tournaments that I've been a part of. Um, you know, the last three years, one of the neatest things ever is the band and the cheerleaders and your fans and, and, and former players all in the hotel lobby and, and you can just feel the the electricity in the air. We don't have that right now. We're we're in a hotel with a bunch of other teams. Our team is all on one floor, um, you know. But when we get between the lines on Friday, I think all of our players understand that this is the most watched event in in all of sports, maybe other than just the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, we got to be ready to play on a big stage. Well, and especially having such a, a highly rated team, you got to figure you're going to have one of the more uh, more watched opening round matchups, being a three seed. Um, obviously, coming into Selection Sunday, you knew you were probably going to be on that three seed line. Um, I know you don't want to limit yourself with expectations preseason, but is that something that you expected to achieve this early in your tenure? Well, uh, you know, 
we expect our team to play with great effort and energy and enthusiasm every single night out. You know, we felt like, you know, we, we recruited at a high level, both the high school and, and the transfer market. Um, last year, two guys that, that, that are, you know, really big pieces for us in our starting center, Connor Vanover and J.D. Notay sat out. You know, our culture just is, you know, is, is, is a lot different now than it was, you know, a year ago. I mean, our players understand that and we've been done with practice here uh, today for probably 20 minutes and everybody's still out working. They're either working on one-on-one moves with the coach or against the teammate or they're getting shots up. I mean, this is an extremely focused team. This is a really workmanlike environment. Um, you walk into our practice facility in the middle of the summer at 10 o'clock at night, I can pretty much assure you that somebody's in there working. Um, and, and so I think that's why, you know, we're a top 10 team in the country, which is hard to finish off the uh, conference tournament season and, and be in the top 10. Um, you can never take that stuff for granted. Um, and then to be a high seed in this tournament, you know, that's what you work for all season. That's what our staff members, when they put together the non-conference schedule, spent countless hours trying to figure out what can help us get to this stage. And now you just got to go play for 40 minutes, and anything can happen in a 40-minute game. And we, we told the team the other day, there are going to be upsets in this tournament. We know that. There's going to be upsets on Friday. We just don't want to be one of them. Exactly. And now, you've been to the NCAA tournament almost every year. You've been a head coach at the college ranks. There's been, uh, you've been a college head coach for six, you're in your sixth year. Uh, there's only been five NCAA tournaments in that span, and you've been to four of them. Aside from the obvious with the pandemic, is there anything different about going to the NCAA tournament at Arkansas as opposed to Nevada? I, I don't think so, other than the fact that we, you know, we put ourselves in a, in a, in a, with a good seed. I think that's, that's one thing, and, and um, you know, at Nevada, our last year, we were in the top 10 the last 17 weeks of the poll, um, and, and I think that particular team had much more pressure uh, because it was a year-long situation, and, and this team has grown, which is probably why it's, a, you know, maybe the most special team I've coached is because we got better as the season progressed. Um, you know, we weren't a top 10 team. We weren't even, a, you know, a top team in our own conference coming into the season, and, and this group's worked, and they've developed chemistry, and they've turned this thing into a special season. All right, just one more question for you, Coach. I know you got to go, but I really appreciate your time joining me today. Um, you talked a little bit about, you know, the, the end goal is always to go to the NCAA tournament, and this group being a special uh, group of guys. Um, last season, uh, everybody saw you get really emotional in the locker room, kind of closing out the year, knowing that the NCAA tournament was canceled, knowing that all of those guys had worked so hard in your first year to make it to the NCAA tournament. What does it mean to you to be able to do this for all these group of guys in such a uh, such a weird year? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, getting to the finish line was not easy, and, and, and we're right now – you know, for the for the NCAA tournament, we're at the starters gate right now, and you know we hope that everybody you know continues to stay safe so that so that this tournament can come to a conclusion. I think that will happen, um, but it's it's been special. And that group last year, uh, they set the foundation. I talked to Mason Jones three or four times a week, and, and those guys, Isaiah Joe and, and Mason and Jimmy Witt, 
those guys really, really, and Adriel Bailey, they, they set the foundation of our culture, um, and these guys have carried it to another level, which is what you want. And then, you know, when this season ends, whenever that may be, you know, there'll be, there'll be a new group of guys that have to carry that work ethic and culture to an even higher level or higher standard. And that's kind of our belief on what culture really is. Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much for joining me today just for a few minutes. I'll let you get back to it. I really appreciate it. Yep, thanks for having me on. appreciate all the stuff you do for covering the hogs. Yes, sir. Thank you. Really appreciate Coach Musk coming on and um, kind of giving me a last-minute interview there. It wasn't anything expected. Uh, you know, it was funny. He ended his presser today from uh, the bubble in, in, in Indy and was kind of wanting to keep talking to media. You know, he's bored and it's, it's isolation up there. It's really, uh, you know, the, he was saying the team can't leave the floor. They're going from their room to practice and nothing else. The meals are getting brought to them. So I think he was really enjoying talking to the media or at least having something else to do. I don't know how much he actually enjoyed talking to the media. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I really appreciated him being able to talk to me for a little bit. Um, I just reached out and said, if you're really bored, come on. And there we were. He had a little 10 minutes. So I'm really grateful um, that he would uh, give me those few minutes to talk to me. Um, so now on to some questions from Twitter. Let's see. Let me pull some of these up real quick. So PJ Sport had two. Who will the Cinderella team be this year? Could it be the power program of a Michigan State, uh, since they've had wins over two number one seed and uh, one number one seed? Um, you know, I'm hesitant to call Michigan State a Cinderella. Yeah, by definition, you know, 11 seed, whatever. They're still a blue blood program in the ACC, or <laughs> ACC, in the Big Ten. Um they're really good year in, year out. This is their 23rd or 24th consecutive year in the NCAA tournament. They could make it far, but I really don't... I don't think I would consider that a um, a Cinderella-type story. If I were to pick a team that, you know, I, a lot of people would not expect to make it very far, um, I would go with UC Santa Barbara. I am really high on the Gauchos. Um... Got some really good players out there. They've played really well. I think, so I have them in my bracket beating Creighton opening round, but I have them losing to Virginia the second round. I think they could easily beat Virginia and make a Sweet 16 run. That being said, though, I also think Ohio could get past Virginia and uh, also make a run. So either one of those two, I would say, would be my uh, quote-unquote Cinderella picks. Um. PJ also asked, how do I how do you think two games in a 48 hour span affect 35 minute guys like Moody and Smith? We had a lot of tired ball handling in the second half versus LSU. I don't think it'll necessarily affect them all too much just because, you know, in the SEC tournament, we were down Jalen Williams and that wasn't a 48 hour turnaround. It was a 24 hour turnaround or less or however much it was, but it was day to day. It wasn't day, then have a day off and then another day. It was back to back days. So, you know, that, that's something I'm not necessarily concerned about. Um, 
I do agree that I thought there were some tired legs out there, but I thought that had more to do with the lack of depth, have not having Jalen, and also having, or yeah, Jalen Williams, but then also having Jalen Tate in foul trouble a lot. So uh, I think that had a lot to do with it, but I don't think that's anything to worry about in the opening rounds. Um, Troy asked the Hogs' toughest draw. Yeah, I would assume. Actually, I don't know. Texas Tech, because of Chris Beard and just the talent they have. But Utah State has a seven-footer, um, and that could give the Razorbacks fit, but fits. But, yeah, I'm going to say Texas Tech is the toughest draw until Ohio State happens. Uh, even though Arkansas does match up well with Texas Tech. Uh, Too Tall Charlie, uh, let's assume a first-round win for both Arkansas and Texas Tech. What happens with McClung versus Muss? Um, you know, I feel like Muss, Muss is really good about forcing um, opposing players, opposing teams' best players to play uncomfortably. He's really good at keeping, their, keeping them under their averages and kind of not necessarily eliminating them from the game because... When you're in the SEC and you're playing all these high-level opponents like Cam Thomas and, and and Herb Jones and all these other players, you can't just completely take them out of the game. The best coach in the world could not do that on a consistent basis. You can do it once or twice maybe, but uh, the, the goal really is to limit those guys or hold them under their averages. So if they get if they average 20, keep them to 15, keep them to 10. That's a win um, because then they're forced to find points from other guys. And so if, you, if you're forcing other teams to win with contributors that they're not usually winning with, you're in a good spot. So I think specifically with McClung, you know, he shoots 33% from the three-point line behind uh, uh, on the year. Um, that's not bad, but it's not great. I think McClung, to his credit, has done a really good job of playing within the Texas Tech system this year. So I think... One thing Musk will probably try to do is force him out of that system, try to try to frustrate him, make him play out of control, make him take contested threes, jack up shots early in the shot clock since they don't like to run all that much. They like to work the clock and, and run an offense. And McClung, for the most part this year, has done a good job of playing within that. So I think uh, against McClung, Musk is going to want to maybe trap, maybe just send extra guys at him frustrate him a little bit, bump him a little bit, get him get him out of his comfort zone and make it hard on him to run the offense and try to make him do that whole um, really athletic, uh, one-on-one talented play that, he, that he's capable of and that he does, but takes Texas Tech completely out of their rhythm. Uh, Daniel asked, can you talk about other teams having interest in Musselman a little bit? Indiana apparently has him at the top of the list. So I've seen a lot of different pieces going around and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, Musselman is obviously a really good coach, and so he's obviously going to get calls and looks and offers from other programs. Right this minute, though, I don't really see that being a major issue. For one, it's pretty... It's pretty much assumed, and, and most people are certain, that Musselman will get a raise and an extension after this year at Arkansas. Most likely, that raise slash extension will make him one of the highest paid coaches in college basketball. At the very least, it'll make him one of the highest paid in the SEC, which would also mean he's one of the highest paid in college basketball. Number two, why would he 
lead, well, let me phrase it this way, I guess. What program out there is open that would make him want to leave what he's building here? And I say that because, you know, his system and his scheme is designed to succeed immediately. We see that, or we saw that with last year winning 20 games and now a three seed in his second year in the NCAA tournament. But if that's just the beginning here, why go somewhere else and start over? Especially when you're already in one of the high major conferences. Um, you're at a, a, a historic program, one national championship, um, many Final Fours, Elite Eights, one of the all-time winningest programs, all that sort of stuff with some of the best facilities and a rabid fan base where uh, you are the, the attraction, you are the basketball team in the state. You have all of that going for you. What other program can provide that? I know Indiana has been mentioned, but you know it's funny. A lot of Indiana fans don't want Musselman, which is really bizarre. Um, Minnesota's been brought up because his dad coached there a long time ago. Um, People keep asking me, should we be concerned about a UCLA? Should we be concerned about an Arizona, USC, um, NBA team? I think he said in a radio interview that the transition to the college level was best for he and his family, and it's something that he really had to focus on. So and I'm not really worried at all about losing him to an NBA team. Um, as far as the West Coast, you know, I get the appeal, you know, that being where he's from, what he's used to, the West Coast, and all that sort of stuff. My rationale for that is UCLA and U- USC, both in the NCAA tournament this year, USC is a sixth seed, which I have them making a decent run because of the talent they have, uh, highlighted by Evan Mobley. Um, Mick Cronin's only in his second year at UCLA, and they're in the NCAA tournament. Arizona doesn't look like they're going to fire Sean Miller, but they're also under FBI surveillance. So I don't think any of those situations either really are really factors. Um, Indiana had a losing season this year. Minnesota had a losing season this year. Minnesota's a difficult place to, to coach and recruit. Uh, Indiana, John Rothstein has actually brought this to a lot of people's attention too. Indiana is viewed as a really historic program, but when you look outside of Bob Knight, you know, that is that a successful program or was it a successful coach? You know, and, and people might say the same thing about Arkansas, but you look at Arkansas and there were two really successful coaches in Nolan and Eddie. And that was over the span of 25 years or so. And now, under Musselman, we're back at that level again with a 20,000-seat arena and a bunch of media exposure and all that sort of stuff. I I just really... I know his track record kind of shows not sticking around too long at different places, both in the NBA and... uh, uh, in the G League or D League, G League, whatever it's called. Uh, but at the college level, he was at Nevada for four years, and this is his second year at Arkansas. His family is loved by the fan base. He's loved by the fan base, and he's really making a legitimate contender on the hill. So I, 
I don't think money's going to be an issue. Fan support's not an issue. Facilities are not an issue. Location, I don't see anything on the West Coast that would attract him at this point right now. I also don't think, or I, I do think he, he likes it in Fayetteville. So I just, I, I don't see any reason for him to be leaving anytime soon. Uh, I'll put it that way. Um, I hope that answers your question, Daniel. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll have another episode of the JC Who's podcast uh, coming up soon, uh, hopefully, uh, depending on how the Razorbacks do. Um, hopefully with a win over Colgate and hoping for a win over Texas Tech, I'll get a, uh, another matchup preview episode going in more in-depth over whoever the Razorback opponent is in the Sweet 16 and talk more about the history of the Sweet 16 uh, and the school and maybe get another really special guest on here. I was really glad to have Coach Musselman on here again today. I uh, really appreciate him coming on and uh, giving me the time. Uh, but yeah, this was the JC Who's Podcast, and I'll catch all of you later.